Well, howdy, folks. Welcome to Michael Perry's voicemail, episode number 171. Out the window of my little room above the garage here, I can see that the van is all loaded up and ready to go. Got a bunch of boxes of books in there like usual, but we got some guitars, too, because we're headed up north, way up north, to do a show in a tent. The Lake Superior Big Top Chautauqua. If you hear this in time, there's a link to the show down below. Man, we'd love it if you could roll on up there. Or, you know, if you're in Canada, roll on down or, or row on down across the big lake there and join us. And if you can't join us, the venue is also selling live streaming tickets, so you can watch the show wherever you are. I'll, I'll have to remind myself of that during the show, that people I can't see are watching me. That's not creepy. Anyways, I've been thinking about a couple of things this week, and one of them is me and music, which I'll get back to here in, in a minute. But what mainly got me headed in this direction is that now and then I'll post something on social media, and against what we've come to expect on social media, a bunch of folks will click in to say wonderful things about me and my books. And don't get me wrong, I'll, I will take that over the opposite any day. And I'm better than I used to be at what my mom taught me, which is to just say thank you. But I also get queasy and nervous about all those compliments because try as I might, and I do weave it into my writing every chance I get, I ain't as pretty as my words. Which leads me to this week's marginalia from volume one of Mark Twain's autobiography in which he writes, What a wee little part of a person's life are his acts and words. His real life is led in his head and is known to none but himself. All day long and every day, the mill of his brain is grinding, and his thoughts, which are but the mute articulation of his feelings, not those other things, are his history. His acts and his words are merely the visible thin crust of his world, with its scattered snow summits and its vacant wastes of water. And they are so trifling a part of his bulk, a mere skin enveloping it. The mass of him is hidden. It and its volcanic fires that toss and boil and never rest night nor day. These are his life, and they are not written and cannot be written. Every day would make a whole book of 80,000 words, 365 books a year. Biographies are but the clothes and buttons of the man. The biography of the man himself cannot be written. So the deal is, and uh, this is me talking again, not Mark Twain. I don't think Mark Twain ever said. So the deal is, if you read what I write, you're, you're reading what I mean. But that doesn't mean the person can live up to the prose. I, I do write from the heart, but when someone says I'm wonderful, my first thought is, no, I'm not. I'm, I berate myself on the day-to-day -day for all kinds of failures of attention to dedication and Failures of bookkeeping and husbanding and parenting and all these things. Of course, the saving grace is gratitude. Even when I'm down on myself, even when I'm rightly down on myself, I know enough to know that I've been allowed a good life by good people and that I, I have put some work in, but that I don't consider that work complete by any means. Anyways, my tendency to get sweaty and run the other way whenever someone says something nice got me to thinking about a lesson a dear friend taught me once about the pros and cons of self-deprecation. I wrote about that in the book Montaigne and Barn Boots, and it goes just like this. Uh, P.S. At, 
at the end of this selection, you're going to hear a reference to the musician Prince, and that's because in the full chapter, the full chapter in the book, it opens with a reference to the influence he and his film Purple Rain had on old farm boy me back when I was first awakening to the idea that you might, you might enjoy a life with one foot in the arts and one foot on solid ground. Once upon a time, a banjo player in my employ took me to task for stating from the stage that I wasn't a very good musician. Self-deprecation is fine, he said, but you're overdoing it. This threw some sand in my gears, as intended. Self-deprecation, as expressed by I could be wrong, was the keystone of Montaigne's philosophy. He was forever reminding his readers that we really shouldn't listen to him. He warned us that many false opinions arise through the overgood opinion that we have of ourselves. And the writer Starobinsky notes how Montaigne characterized his own moral life as exemplary enough if you take its instruction in reverse. He also knew, as the writer Hugo Friedrich has pointed out, and my banjo player was implying, that false modesty could veer too cutesy-clever. There is a certain type of subtle humility that is born of presumption, said Montaigne. The writer Alain de Baton says that of all of this self-deprecation is Montaigne's lovely means of letting us know that our feelings of inadequacy are normal. I certainly appreciate this passage. And, having undertaken to speak without distinction of everything that presents itself to my imagination and making use only of my own innate resources, if it happens, as it often does, that I by chance come across in the great writers the very topics that I have undertaken to discuss, recognizing how clumsy and slow-witted I am in comparison with them, I feel pity or contempt for myself. This is what I was getting at when I made those remarks from the stage. I was surrounded by musicians who knew their instruments inside and out, who had dedicated their lives to their craft, who could play with delicacy and nuance, all the dusty parts, as we say, in reference to those areas of the fretboard the rest of us never visit. As opposed to me, in my thirties, before I learned my first chord, I haven't learned many more, and play my guitar with all the nuance of a man cut and brush. Every time we rehearse, I recognize how clumsy and slow-witted I am in comparison with the band that has my back. And writing? When I crack and read two pages of Dylan Thomas or Zora Neale Hurston, I understand I am in the Tour de France on a tricycle. But rather than triggering my own version of Montaigne's self-contempt, the words of greater writers leave me invigorated and thrilled that I'm even allowed to be in their swinging. Rather than run from the keyboard, I'm propelled back to it, determined, even in the mix of my magazine makeover pieces and my after-dinner yokel anecdotes and my library talks, to attempt a handful of beautiful things, to admire, then aspire. When the banjo player and I talked it over later, he explained that when I overdo the whole boot-scuff act, I am implicitly denigrating the people who enjoy my work and devaluing the time they took to attend and the dollar they chose to spend. There is this temptation, coming from where I do in every sense, to mock everything but meat and potatoes as pretension, to admit I love modern dance but quickly put my thumb on the other side of the scale with some offhand yahoo crack about deer hunting. 
Lately, whenever I invoke the word artisanal, it tilts toward pejorative. I'm still struggling with how to remain a sensible and unpretentious fellow while celebrating the civilizing power of aesthetics. I'm striving for a point of equidistance between snark and sanctimony. Perhaps this is what the critic Terry Teachout had in mind when he wrote that we must be careful not to become, quote, terrible simplifiers. As a critic, says Teachout, part of his job is to accept and revel in complication. The drive to stand there in my unearned logging boots and rationalize art will always be there, as will be the bills, which cannot be paid with the steam of an epigraphic roast. But Teachout also wrote, quote, Those whose privilege it is to make art also have a simultaneous duty to magnify the beauty of the world. Montaigne preferred his water and clear drinking glasses because they let my eyes, too, taste it to the full. When I read that passage, I'm reminded, or when I read that passage, I'm reminded, taught, that a statesman, a soldier, a pragmatist, of which Montaigne was all of those things, can value beauty for beauty's sake, that my knee-jerk need to justify my aesthetic choices, even in terms of pragmatism, is pointless. Examine them, yes, and question them, but mostly just get on with it, and get on with getting better. If Montaigne reveals his aesthetic preferences through a filter of self-deprecation as an ordinary guy, he does so at least in part and in the hope that he might speak to an audience wider than just the self-appointed arbiters. In an essay examining whether or not the appreciation of beautiful things can improve our character, the philosopher John Armstrong says that when we look at the statue of Apollo and are moved, the point is not to adopt the same pose or hairstyle or to become an archer. Rather, it is to seek to realize in ourselves the fusion of the drives embodied by the sculpture. When I saw Prince on the big screen, I felt some draw, some desire to be more than I was, to make some incremental move in his direction. The initial steps were ludicrous, but necessary. The leaden-footed white boy lip-syncing when doves cry in the mirror, knowing full well he couldn't even polka and waffle stompers, let alone pirouette and stilettos. But that boy was dancing via cosmopolitan tension, toward Montaigne's most gracious, most definitive aesthetic decree. The greatest thing in the world is to know how to belong to oneself. Yeah. Even this, these little recordings that I do, the imperfections, in a, the reason we don't go back and edit every little stumble, it's because I, I really truly want it to feel, to feel like a conversation and, and to feel like you're getting something that I care about, but that is that I've put some thought and preparation into, but isn't perfect. And so Montaigne's just teaching us how to, I guess, learn how to belong to ourselves, and ain't that the deal? Not presenting ourselves as Prince or Apollo, uh, but rather as someone aspiring to be Prince or Apollo. In which case, I better go practice my guitar and my archery <laughs> and my abs. Folks, thanks for the kind words when you do share them. And thanks for the words of instruction when you share those. Um, I always say thank you for your criticisms when you share them kindly. Snooty people I don't have a lot of patience with. Anyways, as regular listeners know, uh, this is the part where I ain't going to say goodbye. I'm just going to say what we always said up there where I was a farm boy, which was, well, I suppose, forward. <laughs>